listening to I Might Be Wrong, a podcast hosted by myself, Rich Needham, and my co-host, Henry Salmon. Welcome to I Might Be Wrong. We are delightfully recording in Henry's bike shed, or his outhouse, or whatever the hell this building is. It's uh, definitely a bike shed at the moment. Uh, uh, outhouse <laughs> is definitely the wrong thing. There is a toilet in the building, but it's not a toilet. Yeah, that sounds like a kind of Australian thing, doesn't it? Like a with a dunny and stuff. Yeah. I don't think it's like that. It's a bit bigger than that. Yeah, it's Bike Shed is doing it a little bit of a disservice, but it basically does just have. I I sat next to three rather beefy looking mountain bikes. Absolutely, that's the um, that's what I'm doing when I'm not talking crap about music. Is uh, <laughs> riding those things. That's the. Um, the love of my life, other than my wife. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> and your cat. <laughs> Got to get that bit in. Um, but yeah, so um, we're yeah in in the same room, which is quite cool. It's um, nice. It's it's a bit different, which is good. I like it. Yeah, it's um it's the afternoon. We don't have beers yet. Um, after yet. a bit of a session last night. So um, yeah, yeah, we should we should talk some music. So we're doing your one today. Who have you brought to the table? Yeah, I'm bringing to the table um, one of my favourites. It's uh, Bell and Sebastian and their album, If You're Feeling Sinister, uh-huh. uh, which uh, was recorded in, in 96. A, a big favourite of mine. I wouldn't say they're a polarising band, but people definitely have opinions on them. What, what, what do you think when you, when you hear the word Bell and Sebastian? What pops into your head? Well, you know the answer to this. You know that I am... Uh, <laughs> not necessarily the biggest Bell and Sebastian fan. It's not that I dislike them. It's that I've always struggled to to find something to really hook into on their music. So they're, they, to me, are a little bit pavementy in terms of... I know lots of people who love the kind of music that I love, who love Bell and Sebastian. I just find them a bit weak, but I suspect you're going to tell me why I'm wrong. Uh, well, actually, saying they're weak, um, it's an interesting way to start the whole chat about them, really, because if you if you look at where they come from, I think you have to know about the band to understand yeah. why they make the music they do. And if you understand that, you'll understand why certain people like them. Okay. So weak's an interesting one. So the band was formed in Glasgow, and mm-hmm. the I guess the main guy involved is, um, is Stuart Murdoch, who... Mm-hmm. Has, um, he's pretty much he's he's the front man and for if you're feeling sinister this was his his thing so in later Bell and Sebastian albums the other band members have contributed but if you're feeling sinister is is his it's kind of his his masterpiece it's pretty much the band's um, most I guess most critically acclaimed um, album um, but I guess to f- to understand the sound um, you have to understand him so he went to university. Started suffering from chronic fatigue syndrome, um, was completely wiped out, ended up going home um, to his parents and basically lived uh, a life for a couple of years, basically sat on the sofa, couldn't get out of bed, was completely wiped out, was making notes about life um, because he couldn't live it. Cool. Well, now I sound like a dick. (laughs) (laughs) So so when when you said weak, it's like all of the songs in If You're Feeling Sinister... They're quite interesting in that they're um, they're almost like a they're both a fantasy of what he could have done himself, but also he was just looking at other people's lives. There's there's a really good quote in a Pitchfork um, documentary, uh, which is about an hour long. If you've got an hour to spare, um, 
where he says he was writing normal songs about normal people because I wasn't normal. I was out of the game. Mm-hmm. So while he'd, he'd come back from university and all his friends were, were doing stuff, he was just, um, he was stuck. So, Which I guess in your early 20s is a really weird place to be because once you get older, like most of us know people who have suffered from stuff, whether it's for a couple of months or for years, and you sort of get used to the idea of your body's not what it used to be. But when you're in your early 20s, everyone feels invincible. Exactly. And straight from the first, the first song on the album is called Start of Track and Field. And it's yeah. all about people who are physically excellent. And the, the, the chorus says the start of track and field, the beautiful people. And he's looking at them going, wouldn't I want to be that? That's, that's the dream. And I can't be there. And he used to, I think he ran a marathon before he got sick. So oh, wow. he's a, he was fit and then he went downhill. So that's where I guess this kind of the idea for the album originated. Yep. So who else is in the band? Well, that's um, nicely segued into. So Murdoch then went to, I guess he was effectively on the dole and he went into Glasgow. And I couldn't quite work out from what I've read how the setup worked it was either council funded or there was arts funding for basically it was like a a musician's version of being on the doll it was like a kind of almost like a a club where you could get together with other musicians mm-hmm. and record stuff and he met Stuart David who was the bassist in the early days of Bell and Sebastian who then left I think he was basically just looking for anyone who could start to record music with him uh-huh. so the two of them were literally just shuffling around in this club together and Almost organically, the the band slowly started forming. So okay, from there, they got their drummer because he was their flatmate who basically was living in the flat. And then while they started playing music, he would sit in the background playing some bongos and had right. no idea how to drum. It's your classic drummer, isn't it, in a way? Yeah. No one um, knows how to drum until they become a drummer and then they're just a drummer. Yeah, yeah. And this guy, um, there's a comedy story about him, which we'll come on to. He joins... And then they got um, more members um, just drifted in. So they wanted a cellist and some strings in there. And they just started to approach people. But they were um, pretty much destitute. They didn't have any money. Right. So um, that was where they started, just um, looking, playing local gigs and trying to get noticed. Okay. So anyway, off the back of that, they wrote and recorded together a few songs and they got the ear of some record companies. And they were looking for a record company to put an album out through. And they had some pretty specific demands. So the only record company that was really interested um, was was Jeepster. Partly because their demands were, number one, they weren't going to release any singles. So they were going to put an album out. They wanted just to be an album band. Uh, Number two, no press. They didn't want any press releases. They didn't want any interviews with the band. They were like, don't talk about us. Number three, no press pictures no one can take photos of the band not even inside for the album arm they were like you're not taking photos of us just leave us alone this is a big bunch of introverts Mm -hmm. who wanted to be noticed for their music they didn't want money it was a this is an artistic project leave us alone now imagine if you did that today that would be (laughs) it's either unthinkable or it's some cynical marketing genius where they try and hide an artist behind a veil but for Bell and Sebastian they didn't give a shit (laughs) I think so I guess if you're in a situation where you're not focused on success and fame and making money and making a living out of it 
you sort of can have a bit more freedom to do things your own way. And I, I absolutely admire that. I think it's a, it's a great approach for a band. As you say, I don't know in the modern Instagram social media age whether you could get away with that. But then I also think that if you're a band that you could almost not find anything out about, that would almost be more fascinating to people. Yeah, so this was when... So my the first time I came across them was when uh, I had a summer job doing computers in an office and this other geeky kid in the office, we would exchange CDs. Right. And he slid this CD across the desk to me and it was, he had made it himself. So he'd burnt me this copy and he'd, he'd cut out a piece of red paper and drawn on the album art of this thing, put it into this, this sleeve wow, and, and, cool. and tried to copy the, the CD um, writing in this whole thing. And it was like, this guy's put a lot of time and effort into a CD, which of a band I've never heard about played it was kind of weirded out by the fact that it wasn't anything like any of the music at the time Mm -hmm. because it's very, very folk. It's quite twee. And this guy was very quiet, bit of a geek, a guy called Tim. And that's how I first heard of them. And you just didn't see anything in the music press about them. So the only way to find them was if you go into a record shop, look in the record label under B and see what albums were floating around there. So totally weird. They weren't in any music magazine. Right. So... For our listeners who haven't heard of Bell and Sebastian or don't really know much about them, what is their sound that I have described as weak? It's very gentle folk. It's kind of towards, I guess, it's almost like Simon and Garfunkel if Simon and Garfunkel were quite bookish and shy (laughs) and didn't really know about the world. Right. The difference is, so sonically they're quite similar, but um, Stuart Murdoch's voice is very frail. Yeah. And I think that'll put a lot of people off. I think that's what put me off. I think for me, I love folk music when the quietness and delicacy of the music allows a really strong singer to bring everything together. And this is the soft, beautiful instruments that are quite quiet. And then a voice that's also quite quiet and a little bit mumbly. You've got Neil Young, who's got a similar voice, but even that's kind of... But he really projects with that voice. Yeah, and I think that's where it, that's the difference. Yeah, whereas this is not. This is almost someone whose microphone's set up in the middle of the room and he's sitting on a chair over in the corner quietly singing to himself. Yeah, and it's, a, it's an acquired sound. Uh, so that's their kind of the sound. The music that they make is, especially on If You're Feeling Sinister, is quite simple. So right. he kept it simple. They're three-chord songs... There's nothing crazy. There's harmonies coming from from the strings. There's nothing complex. But somehow, out of all of those simple three chords, the, the album is quite deep. It's the kind of thing that you can go back to time and time again. Right. So I'm going to guess that you don't necessarily agree with the rather unpleasant monikering of this kind of late 90s quiet indie movement as bedwetting indie. Well, I, you know, you, you read a lot of the reviews at the time and it's, um, so I, I read one review which was saying that Bell and Sebastian are outcast dreamers or fans of are outcast dreamers and wasters of potential. And, and I think a lot of people who find solace in this kind of music, it's kind of comforting. It's, it's almost aimed at those people who are a bit nervous to go out and mm-hmm. get involved with the crowds. I think bedwetting is probably a little bit harsh. Um, <laughs> 
Uh, oh, it's the Alan McGee quote about Coldplay, I think it was, where he was just fed up with indie going down this quieter, more introverted route, and he felt that rock was dying, And but I mean... He's the kind of person that probably only thinks that bands like Oasis should exist. Yeah, and fine, he can he can do that. And to be honest, there'll be a bit of a divide in the musical crowd. Some people just won't like it, and, and as you said, it just doesn't catch your ear. Whereas I know some people will, there will be people listening to this podcast who will who will be saying, this is the greatest band ever, don't you dare talk down. Absolutely, <laughs> and that that's kind of where I'm trying to understand that better in terms of what, what am I missing? Because... There are other bands around like we've talked about Simon and Garfunkel in the past and obviously we're both fans of their work. There are bands like Decemberists, there are people like Sufjan Stevens, all of this stuff is quiet folksy indie that I really love but Bell and Sebastian I've struggled with. Yeah it's funny all of their songs are talking about people in interesting Mm -hmm. places. I've mentioned the stars of track and field. There's tracks like Seeing Other People which it's clearly written for this I guess if you like late teens, early twenties, talking about relationships in a slightly kind of nervous, awkward way, which I could definitely relate to when I was listening to the CD at the time. It, some people might just not like that. It might just not connect. It, it it definitely got me kind of thinking. But they're they're quiet. That's that's how they roll. Yeah. Since then, they've they've branched out. They've become more confident. A lot of their new albums, the other band members have been. Mm-hmm. contributing but this one as a whole is Murdoch's Baby I guess the other standout tracks um, Get Me Away From Here I'm Dying is amazing right it, it kind of builds up it speeds up and it almost has a little bit of oomph to it which oomph for Bell and Sebastian track is relative but <laughs> it's, yeah, it, yeah. It, it does build up and the, the, the drums get going the funniest story I heard about the recording of all of this was with Judy and the Dream of Horses which is in my view their best track it's okay. the last song on the album and it's the the track where I think Murdoch was looking to to find a final song and he went out for a massive walk out of Glasgow, basically walked out of the city one morning as the sun was coming up, uh-huh. came back in and he was like, I've got the song. And the band also loved it. And and the guitarist, um, Stevie, he's in an interview saying that um, they were playing it in this church. They did a lot of their recording in the church and it was kind of the final cut of a of a live recording. And he, by accident, stepped on the game pedal and um, and and got really overexcited. He said it was by accident, but it sounds like actually he thought it was so good that he wanted to take this song a bit further and got bollocked at the end of it. And if you listen to it, again, you can hear it on this Pitchfork program. It sounds totally out of place, but you can see why he would do that. The song builds up and you can see that he was trying to think, this is such a good song. I want to add some right. kind of overdrive to this. But yeah, it's um it finishes there and there's uh, and that's it. It's it's quite a short short album. It's forty minutes long, right? And I'm a yeah, I'm a massive fan. Fair enough. And I know that it's not just you. I understand that there are plenty of people who absolutely adore Bell and Sebastian. I wonder whether maybe my issue with Bell and Sebastian is how I came to discover Bell and Sebastian, uh-huh. which is as I suspect a lot of people who were watching TV in the late 90s, I watched a series called Teachers, which was brilliant. Yeah. It's a great TV show, and it uses The Boy With The Arab Strap as its theme tune. I love The Boy With The Arab Strap. It's an absolutely wonderful piece of indie folk music. It's got this beautiful melody. It doesn't rush along, but it, it has a little bit of pace and urgency to it. It's, it's just fun. 
And so I heard that. I was like, oh, this is great. It's a really cool piece of music. I really love it. And then I went and listened to the rest of the stuff. And there's not really another track on those two albums that sounds similar to that. It's interesting. I, I would have said it's quite, it's almost quite similar to a lot of, if you're feeling sinister. The, the Incidentally, that song got them into a load of trouble with the band Arab Strap, who are also from Scotland. And right. they really pissed each other off with, with that. But um, <laughs> they resolved that. Brilliant. But yeah, that sounds interesting. If you go and see them live, their live performances are, um, as you'd expect, they're, they don't kind of kick the doors down. But it's funny, looking at a Bell and Sebastian crowd, if you go to a, a gig, it's kind of, you're not going to get into a fight, but you're probably going to be beaten in like a university challenge quiz by most of the people <laughs> opposite you. Because you can just see that there's like, there's a lot of bookish smart people who are kind of, yeah, yeah, it's it's a funny old it's crowd. It's an introvert crowd where nobody's going to make eye contact, but everyone's sort of just nodding along quietly to themselves. Totally, absolutely. It's a really weird. It's, it's the only gig where I felt completely physically secure, and I'm a bit of a string bean, um, <laughs> but slightly mentally kind of <laughs> out of my depth. It's like, oh my god, I've walked into a Mensa convention. Yeah. Um, so where did you see them? uh london somewhere roundhouse maybe i can't remember okay um that sounds about right for them i think it was some, something like that that'd be an awesome place to see them as well roundhouse i can imagine being for if you like that kind of band that's a great venue to watch them in it was something like that i i, sh- I need to remember i tried to find out where 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 i saw them it was in 2013 2014 mm-hmm. um so they progressed a bit by then and some of the other band members were being a bit more um involved at that point so do you think that's been a good evolution do you like their more recent stuff or have you really stuck with the early two albums uh there are some very good new songs and i've got a couple of their their, their albums i've got dear catastrophe waitress the album is good i mean step into my office baby is the opening track and it's definitely this total change between the the older bell and sebastian and, and new that's quite fun uh-huh and then um on on the life sheet, which is another quite fun one, there are some there are some good songs on there. I think probably another sunny day or white collar boy are probably two two standout tracks, but none of them really stand up as an album. As right. to if you're feeling sinister, you didn't mention any of the stuff they've released in the last ten years. The stuff that you've not really paid attention or not really. I think they. It's almost like that one album captured this time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of timeless, but it very much captured a a moment of Murdoch's youth when he was, I guess, really struggling to cope with the world and wrap that up in a bubble. And they haven't recreated that that idea. Yeah, fair enough. But back to live music. There's a <laughs> there's a wonderful story of um of them going on tour in the States and I remember this happening in real time where um um so they were driving along in uh in their motorhome and they stopped at this service station place um in the middle of the night and they all got out and got their food jumped back in and drove another few hundred miles off down the road um and when they got to their destination they realized that they'd left the drummer at the service station (laughs) (laughs) and um he was at the service station with in his pajamas because he must have just gone out for like a pee no money nothing and so they put out a um a kind of a shout on I don't know whether it was Twitter at the time, whether Twitter existed then, but they basically put a call to arms to all their American bandmates. He's like, please, we need to find our drummer. He's at the service station. We need to get him to our gig, which is tonight. And we're already at the venue. 
can you find a way to get him from this venue in <laughs> where, wherever this service station is? And I think they ended up putting him on a bus and then on a plane. So they must have gone a really, really long way wow. without realising that the drummer wasn't actually there. That's, um, that is hilarious. Well, I guess that's why they couldn't go just like drive back for him. It's like, nope, we drive back for him, we won't make our stage time. Yeah, exactly. So um, so I thought that was that was quite quite cool. Poor old oh, drummer. That's amazing. Um, yeah, but, um, fucking drummers. Fucking drummers. But yeah, so seeing them live, they're good fun. I, I remember watching it and they had some fun videos in the background. But for me, they, they're at their best just on that one album where you just get this little kind of world in a, in a bubble. Yeah. See, I enjoyed them when I saw them live because I was at, it was just at a festival. And I felt like there was some energy that they had live that I didn't feel from the albums. It's almost like they, again, the, the way you've talked about them makes sense. They weren't performing for the audience. They were performing for themselves and the audience was almost, it just happened to be there. Yeah. But them in that little bubble really generated this energy and maybe maybe just being able to see their their musical skill made a difference there. But yeah, I've, I've only seen them once, but I thought they were pretty good. Yeah, I, I don't think I'd rush back to see them live, but... Yeah, and, the stuff unless they tour the album. Yeah, which they've done. I think they've re-recorded it uh, more recently, which is probably worth a listen. The original album, they, so they recorded two when they did, if you're feeling sincere, it was that and Tiger Milk, which was, it was almost recorded at the same time. And Tiger Milk is almost like an extension of If You're Feeling Sinister. Right. It was just before If You're Feeling Sinister came out. So they, they only pressed a thousand copies. Um, and those are now selling for like four or 500 quid. So there's like, there's definitely a little clutch of diehards who go after those early albums because yeah. they've they've really captured a, a time fair enough in terms of influential sound was it something that brought you into a more folksy mindset totally my parents had loads of folk music floating around and and i and i liked it but listening to this i guess it was um it was just before i was just heading off to university and this combination of that sound at that time it almost meant I kind of explored folk music much more because of that. Because I remember, it's one of those things from years of knowing you, that when I first met you, you were into these guys and the Decemberists and a whole bunch of other indie folk bands from that time and thinking that you were very, very pigeonholed in that quite as the new loud type sound. And yet, from everything that we've talked about since, I know that literally six months before you started university, you were purely just Rocky Loud stuff. Yeah, so these guys were pretty influential. I, I can't think of any other band that appeared at that time who steered me towards folk in that kind of way. So right. so yeah, I think they've made a pretty pretty big impact on me, which is um which is why I kind of enjoy enjoy talking to them. And actually just doing all this digging and just kind of suddenly brings back all those feelings again. It's a bit like when Stuart Murdoch was interviewed and he said that whenever he's doing a gig or at any point in time, he'll play one of the songs from Sinister. It doesn't matter which one it is. Right. But as soon as he plays it, he disappears back into that time when he was uh, trying okay. to form the band, he was struggling along and he, I think for him, it's his, you know, it's his masterpiece. Yeah. Um, so. Were, were there other bands that you got into after Bell and Sebastian that were sort of part of this? Um, the Decemberists were a couple of years later. 
they're ah i love the decemberists some people will hate them and colin malloy's donkey sounding voice um (laughs) people really worse but i love them because they tell stories and it's a little bit like bell and sebastian here so yeah out of all the bands that i've really really got into since then probably decemberists the other bands who aren't at all like bell and sebastian Mm -hmm. but do a similar kind of storytelling or a band called the weaker thans who are yeah canadian yeah i um, thought you might mention who are quite quiet as well and quite introverted the weaker thans talk about writing it's almost like writing poetry rather than writing songs mm-hmm. we'll probably end up doing a session on the weekend ends because they're lyrically my favorite band oh we should definitely talk about them bit of a <laughs> i'm, I'm going to put a stick in the sand and say that out of all of every band's lyrics and anyone's lyrics even like the greats the weekend ends are my are my wow. band who, who i go go to listen to pamphleteer if you're listening for some interesting lyrics um but yeah so cool. anyway that's that's bill and sebastian in a nutshell um not nice. everyone's going to love them but but i've just got a, a real real soft spot for this one album in particular cool well feel free to pile in on social media and tell us which side you come down on is henry right or are they a little bit too wet blankets to be uh to be really great if you think they're wet blankets, don't say anything. <laughs> you'll, you'll upset people. <laughs> you'll upset Henry. That's the problem. <laughs> All right. So thank you for joining us. We will be back next week with something a little bit different. Cool. Cheers, Rich. Cheers, Henry. Thank you for listening to another episode of I Might Be Wrong.